Welcome to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. I am your host, Dr. Onit Lev, an emergency and addiction doctor who has served at the White House and still practices on the front lines. Right here on High Truths, you will learn from experts, hear stories from the emergency department, and listen to people who have struggled from addiction. Friends, fentanyl is plaguing America. It has infected all illicit drugs, from cocaine to meth, counterfeit pills, and even marijuana. If you are around someone who may be using drugs, you should carry naloxone, the opioid reversal agent. Carrying naloxone for drugs is like carrying an EpiPen for allergies. If you need a prescription for naloxone, you should have one, no questions asked. That is why I am offering a free prescription to anyone who needs one. Come visit me on hightruths.com to learn more about the show, submit a question, or download a free prescription for naloxone. And if you like the show, do me a favor. Give us a five-star review and subscribe. Your stars are very much appreciated and go a long way in supporting the program. This High Truths podcast is sponsored by NMI, the National Marijuana Initiative. NMI strives to dispel misconceptions about marijuana and raise awareness of the issues surrounding the drug so that citizens and policymakers can make well-informed choices regarding marijuana use and regulations. Learn more about NMI at thenmi.org. Hi, everyone. Welcome to High Truths. It's always a pleasure to join you with impactful conversation. Brace yourself today for a serious conversation that involves suicide. I'm your host, Dr. Roni Lev. Let me share with you sections of an article I wrote and hope to get the attention of a major newspaper to publish. It's hard to get attention on the subject. Marijuana is the M word. It may be easier to talk about abortion than say anything negative about cannabis. And suicide, sadly, is still shunned in our society. Suicide is the second cause of death in ages 10 to 34 in the United States. It is estimated that 54% of Americans have been affected by suicide in some way. What people may not be aware of is the association of high-potency THC and suicide. A study by the National Institute of Health on 280,000 young adults ages 18 to 45 showed this association. The number one drug in completed suicides in Colorado ages 18 to 35 is THC, marijuana, more than alcohol. In San Diego, I copied Colorado's data extraction and found THC, the number one drug found in completed suicide in age under 25, the age of the growing brain. And again, it was more than alcohol. We've had several High Truth episodes dedicated to the discussion on psychosis, and I refer you to fascinating discussions with world experts, Dr. Christine Miller, Sir Robin Murray, and Dr. Marta DeForti. People who get a paranoid type of psychosis from high-potent THC can run into traffic or jump out a building. Their death certificate will say suicide, but the demons in their head drove them to their death. People with severe depression can commit suicide. Depression has a biological basis with marijuana withdrawal and adjustment by the brain to a relatively lower amount of dopamine caused by drugs. With that, let's hear our question of the day. 
Hi, my name is Kathleen Sheffield. I'm the substance abuse prevention specialist for Lincoln County, Montana. I like following Laura Stack. She has great information that she gives to parents, teachers, and community members regarding the dangers of marijuana or cannabis. My question for Laura and the audience is why are more parents, caregivers, and adults not taking note of the dangers of marijuana slash cannabis? How many more youth and adults need to die because of this? Thank you, Kathleen, for your question and vital work in substance use prevention. Let's get Laura Stack on the show to answer your question. Laura Stack is the mother of Johnny Stack and founder and CEO of Johnny's Ambassador. Laura lost her son Johnny to suicide caused by high-potency THC products that made him believe he was being chased by the mob. In the business world, Laura was better known for her professional moniker, the Productivity Pro, and Laura transformed her skills and career from a Hall of Fame speaker and best-selling author on productivity to using her talents to protect and help kids and parents from the harms of marijuana. You could find Laura Stack's bio on the High Truths show notes. Laura Stack, welcome to High Truths. Thank you so much, Dr. Love. Happy to be here. It is a real pleasure to have you on High Truths, and I really thank you for inviting me to talk to Johnny's ambassadors in the past. Thank you so much for joining us. And now it's a pleasure to be able to return the favor. So I appreciate you having me on the show. And we had fun hanging out in Miami, headquarters for Marijuana Prevention Initiative and sponsors of this podcast. Um, And MII brought together subject matter experts of drug driving, pharmacists, psychiatrists, and we turned to you to reaching out to impacted families. Yes, that was a blast. It was really great to meet my colleagues, as I'm one of the newest members of the National Marijuana Initiative uh, Speakers Bureau, I was so impressed with everyone there and their different areas of expertise. Our particular area of expertise is educating parents and teens and communities about the dangers of today's high potency THC products. Particularly, we emphasize marijuana uh, on the brain development and mental illness, and sadly, suicide. So that is our focus and our mission here at Johnny's Ambassadors Nonprofit. And Laura, you got into this because of your son, Johnny. Can you tell us a little bit about him? Yes, I did. Sadly, Johnny died by suicide on November 20th, 2019. We live in Colorado. Sadly, Johnny began using marijuana at 14 because he went to a party uh, with a friend whose brother had a medical marijuana card at 18. And he told me there was marijuana at the party and they all wanted to try to get high. That was 14 years old. And at 19 years old, he took his own life after having become psychotic at that point. He was using high concentrate vapes and dabs, which we found in his uh, drawer in his college dorm, the first of three that he had to drop out of. Um, And so I, after about six months, started asking my friends what they knew about dabbing and nobody knew anything about dabbing because I felt so completely ignorant as a parent that I decided I just needed to speak up and to do something and to educate people 
on things that I had no idea about anyway. So we started Johnny's Ambassadors in May of 2020. So we are almost at our two-year anniversary and have made tremendous progress during that time. Thank you. And you wrote a book, The Dangerous Truth About Today's Marijuana, Johnny Stack's Life and Death Story. I encourage people to to read it and because you know you've been an author and speaker in previous life. So you've kind of pivoted and, and changed your focus. Exactly. Yes. This is actually my ninth book. My focus before was on personal productivity for the past 30 years. So it was pretty easy for me knowing business and events and branding and social and media to make the shift. Uh, don't do much focus in the for-profit world in those areas anymore. I'm the full-time executive director and uh, CEO at Johnny's Ambassadors. The book was wonderful in terms of timing uh, as a fluke. It was covid right after he died, he died in November and the world shut down in March. So um, not having much else to do, I took to writing, which is what I knew. And that is my way of, of processing my grief. And 300 pages came out and 176 scientific notations. And it, I believe, will not only help people get to know Johnny, but understand the research and, and the science that is behind his story. And sadly, hundreds and hundreds of young people that we have heard from uh, in terms of other impacted families since that time. Yeah. And, you know, addiction, suicide is a family disease. So you and your husband found a new purpose. Can I ask how your other kids are doing? Um Yes. Well, I mean, this work is very healing for all of us. Our other two children are on the board of directors for Johnny's Ambassadors and are involved in our mission uh, in different ways. Our son is 20, uh, 16 months younger than Johnny, and he goes to Colorado State University where Johnny got his first scholarship and is a junior there. And he uh, is in a fraternity. And so he works kind of... Um, indirectly, but he puts rules in place like people who smoke weed go in the basement and everybody who doesn't smoke weed can be on the top floor. You know, he just, he's in the leadership so he can do things like this. And people come to him and talk to him about their marijuana use. They're sweating, they're vomiting, whatever. And he'll say, dude, it's the marijuana, you know, knock off, stop smoking. And they'll be like, no, that's not what it is. And he'll tell them just stop for a month. And they'll come back and say, you know, you were right. Oh my gosh. So, you know, he's, he's working in his own way, but he's doing well. Uh, they all have their own timelines in the way of grieving. My husband took longer, needed more time to grieve. I am a real take charge, a doer, you know, uh, I work through things by taking action and, uh, our daughter is happily married. It's bringing a lot of joy to our life. She just got married She's 26, so she's doing really well. She's uh, six years older than Johnny was, but she was kind of the, you know, their their big sister, kind of an authority figure. So it was it was hard for her. But now she's you know married, new house, new husband, new job, new dog. She's she's <laughs> oh, really God, doing well. Good. Thanks for asking. Yeah, no, because I I know it affects the whole family. I'm glad that yeah. they're, they're oh, yeah, again healing at their own rate with their own methods. Yes. Kathleen Shetfield is a prevention specialist and one of your fans. 
And, uh, her question to you is why? Why? A big why. Why are parents, caregivers, and adults not taking note of the danger of marijuana or cannabis? Well, I wondered about that myself because I, I posted a Facebook post, one of my very first before I ever started Johnny's Ambassadors, just to say, um, you know, here's some links and, and have you ever heard of dabbing? And it got 21,000 shares. I couldn't even do that when I was attempting to do that in my for-profit world and like 4,000 comments. And the biggest sentiment was, I have no idea what you're talking about. So I think that people my age, you know, I'm 52. So anyone who was in high school, really during the 60s, you know, today's grandparents, 70s, 80s, 90s, even into 2000s with very, you know, with younger children, our perception of, you know, marijuana back then was that it was, basically harmless. You know, we didn't see all the levels of psychosis and mental illness that we're seeing now because the potency levels were so low. So when Johnny told me he was using the marijuana at the party, my first, <laughs> this is terrible now looking back, but my first thought was, well, thank God it's just weed. And see, that I think is what the perception is that's pretty prevalent from what I can tell when I go and give talks or webinars, I said to myself, well, you know, I used marijuana. It didn't hurt me. I'm fine. You know, I think there's that kids will be kids. And because we don't understand, we meaning society, parents, adults in general, how marijuana has changed uh, and that it's an entirely different drug that if you're not in the culture, if you're not using marijuana products, if you haven't been in a dispensary in many, many years, as I haven't, you know, at least since the mid 2000s, you would just have no concept of what the products are like that they're using. I think that the voters here in Colorado, when we voted in recreational marijuana, you know, the first state to do so in 2012, I think the voters were kind of thinking about that boomer, you know, 10% THC max weed that you smoked and rolled a joint and passed around and everybody giggled and you went to Denny's. Like that was my perception of marijuana because it's all I knew. And there is no education out there to make parents aware of what today's marijuana looks like. That's one of our big pushes is to really get people to understand. It's like apples and oranges. It's a completely different drug. So because there's really no narrative out there like that, it's the marijuana industry telling people they're, you know, reefer madness and this kind of running, you know, oh, marijuana is legal, therefore it must be safe and natural and harmless. That all just convinces parents that it won't hurt their children. And, eh, you know, if they use it, in some cases, even buy it for them, uh, that it will just help their stress, right? And, and help their anxiety and help their depression. So it is really just, Renita, false set of beliefs right. of, of perception and a, and a lack of education. 
it's interesting. I really like your your answer to Kathleen's question. Is like people think of marijuana as being mellow, but really marijuana now is more like methamphetamine and a hard drug. Yeah, like crack. It's just so strong. Right. When she when I saw her question, I kind of thought something different. I was thinking more of like, okay, why are people not paying attention? I was thinking. One, we don't learn from history, okay? We just are coming off an opioid crisis where people were told that opioids are healthy and everybody in pain should have them or tobacco where everybody was smoking. I, my favorite yeah. picture is the, the head of the Cancer Association with a cigarette, <laughs> all right? I mean, that's what people were thought and they were being lied to on the dangers and, and why. It, and I would say, follow the money. There's a lot it's of money. profitable. Yeah. yeah. It's I funny. mean, and who owns big marijuana now, big tobacco, you know, because kids actually believe that using tobacco is safer or is more harmful than marijuana. They think marijuana is safer to use. And so because there is a real lack of a risky a perception of marijuana, mm-hmm. they manage to get people to buy into this. Uh, and we don't, we don't learn from history, but I don't think people understand that it is dangerous yet. I don't even think we're at that place yeah. uh, where people know, oh, it's addictive. You know, how long did it take? What, 60 years for tobacco? Yeah, a um, hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to take, unfortunately, many generations before we realize the harms. And sadly, I think we're going to lose generations of young people to to mental illnesses and to suicide until someone sounds the alarm. And that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do at, in terms of marijuana and prevention is provide that education and awareness. I think some of it too is the, is the myth that, oh, that would never happen to my kid. I thought it, you know, that would whatever my kids, you know, Johnny was a straight A student. He had a perfect SAT score in math, 800 out of 800. Um, he had a scholarship. We're a Christian family. We went to church, you know, whether you go to temple, whether you are involved in volunteer activities, like all these excuses that parents make, they say, oh, you know, that would never happen to my kid because uh, he's very involved in sports. Well, mine ran cross country track, was in karate, played soccer, played the piano and the guitar, like a very, very active young man. And, you know, it's, I think we always believe that will never happen to us. And then boom, it is impacting your family. You know, we know from SAMHSA data that 30% of the, the high schoolers, the 12th graders are using. But if you line up 10 parents, and you ask them, which of the three of you have kids that are using? They're all like, oh, not mine, not mine. Cause it's so, it's so discreet and it doesn't smell and it's easy to hide. And parents are very naive about how available it is and how accessible it is. I mean, any high school here in Colorado, you can get weed in five minutes. I mean, they know who all of the seniors are who have the med cards. There are 3,500 of them, 18 years Why old. Why do kids need a med card? There is they no, don't. they're going to get high. There's no medical reason. <laughs> they for have a no child debilitating have. and chronic conditions. I well, say they like have from zero carpal tunnel to syndrome for videotape playing video right. games too much, right? 
<laughs> oh, well, they have that too. No, I'm saying but, they have carpal tunnel from, well, you know, from, from right. keyboard. Or, you know. Oh yeah. And they're in a ton of pain. Oh yeah. yeah. Ton of pain. Um, but you know, only between zero and 11, I think there's a hundred med cards. And then between 11 and 17, there's another 150, like, and, and I don't even, I don't get into that. Like if, if a parent says, I'm going to give my child, you know, marijuana to help with their seizures. Okay. Well, that's not FDA approved. It's not been, there's nothing that says dispensary product Wait, is going to work. But to me, that sounds like child abuse. I'm sorry, but I know to, it's like, to give and we, we tell them blatantly, there is no safe level of THC in the developing mind. And, you know, we, we don't condone, but we just say, look, <laughs> what we know is that at 18 years old, when you can go get a med card, uh, and lie to our pot shop docs and say you have a migraine. It's it's to you. It's a party drug. Everybody goes, oh, you know, they're self medicating and they're they're mentally ill. It's like it's really hard to get beer here in Colorado. You have to be twenty one, but it's really easy to get marijuana. Uh, I mean, it's it's just everywhere. Ugh, that makes me so sad. I know it is really sad. You you met many other parents who've lost children to suicide associated with cannabis use. Is this a national problem or is this just a small fringe group? Oh my gosh. It's everywhere. All of the, we have a, you know, a hundred stories on our website of people sharing. We put all the photos up on our memorial wall of people who are willing to share their children with us who have died. I was just in New Jersey last week a family reached out to me whose son just died in, in January by suicide after becoming psychotic from using marijuana products in New Jersey, where it was just legalized. And it's not even in the dispensaries yet, but, you know, it's just everywhere. It's a huge problem. And when I go talk in, in high schools and middle schools, uh, we do a survey before and after I talk to see if we can measure the impact mm. of our work. And one of the questions is, what to what extent do you intend to use marijuana products in the next two weeks? Wow. And some of them say, I fully intend to use marijuana products in the next two weeks, even after I've come and talked with them they still intend to. Now that number does go down. We do measure intent to use, perception of harm. Will you share with someone else, right? Like really basic measures mm -hmm. of, are we moving the needle at all in terms of education? And I think, I think we are, but it's so sad to see in a high school, you know, where you have 14 through 18 years old that, there are children using and it just, oh, I look out on the faces of all of these beautiful young people with so much potential. And it's just, they don't care. It's they don't care. They just believe it's never going to harm me. You know, I'm not going to be the one I'm not weak minded. And it, it never occurs to anybody until it happens to them. And then all of a sudden they care. So it's, uh, it's something we're just really trying to get in front of, but it's everywhere. It's everywhere. Even Canada. I mean, we've got Johnny's ambassadors in Europe, London, they have skunk, you know, all kinds of um, problems, but mostly North America is where we're experiencing it, of course, because of all the concentrates. Yeah. Um, you have special regards for Michelle Leopold. I talked to her yesterday. She's oh, yes. 
mother of Trevor. Um, She sends her regards to you. And she, her son Trevor started with marijuana at age 15. That was his drug of choice, quickly became addicted and died in his um, college dorm room in Sonoma County from an M30 pill. And Michelle really understands the connection of marijuana, priming the brain from drug use, um, and is a strong activist. Have you encountered this association of fentanyl and marijuana? I do every single day. I have not met a single person who I treat in the emergency department from fentanyl that did not start their journey with marijuana, not a single person. Well, that's because, you know, addiction, as you know, is is an adolescent onset disease. At, at 52, I don't just suddenly say, oh, gee, I think I'm going to, uh, you know, shoot heroin. <laughs> like, like you ask anyone who's used any hard drug, whether it's fentanyl or meth or heroin or whatever, and they always start with marijuana. I think it's really interesting, the, the statistics on the overdose deaths last year, 100,000, right? And and the lockdowns and COVID and having marijuana as an essential business and seeing all the sales go up and knowing the connection between marijuana and just not being able to get that high anymore and moving on to other harder drugs because you you almost have just become desensitized. You, you know, you wouldn't just like start with opioids, but once you're, you've done marijuana, then you just feel like, oh, I've got this, right? And I need something that's stronger. And there's CDC data out on this too. The, um, the Youth Risk Behavioral Study that came out in 2019 said that lifetime marijuana use is now the number one predictor of whether a high schooler will have abused opioids in the past 30 days. That's according to the CDC, right? Not alcohol. So it's it's this incredible, it's now they say the number one gateway drug, whether you've ever used marijuana predicts whether you're going to be an abuser of opioids in high school. So we know there's a direct correlation and that not even to mention the marijuana that's laced with fentanyl, right? We're just talking about the raw THC products, Johnny's uh, blood tests never had other drugs in them. He was diagnosed with THC abuse severe. So some young people, sadly, like Trevor, go on and they start with marijuana, but then they'll overdose on something else, right? And I think they'll, it just- They'll lowers. try a pill. It's like, hey, this try this, this will get you down, you know? Or exactly. <laughs> right. And then right. that's it. So yeah. sad. It's so sad. You support hundreds of parents and really such a, a blessing that you do to, to help them out with problems like psychosis. But can you tell us a little bit, who are these parents? Are they different parts of America, ethnicities? All over. Mostly sons, over daughters, like who who are the yeah. parents? All the parents are, I mean, we're nonpartisan, non you know, we don't have any uh, non-religious, we're non-political, you know, it's just, it's a whole wide swath of parents all over the U.S., um, all political bents, uh, ethnicities, it's just, it's it's everyone, everyone is impacted. We have right now 226 parents in our private Parents of Children of Cannabis-Induced Psychosis group. 226 right now. And that's just our little nonprofit, right? That's just the ones who have even heard about us. That's not, you know, that's just a tiny fraction of the problem. And we have, and you're coming on in, in May for us, you know, we have a support group. We try to support them. We, we bring in an expert once a month to try to answer their questions and try to help, um, 
Johnny's Ambassadors is youth marijuana prevention and education and awareness. So we don't, I'm not a clinician and, and we have, we have to have insurance just in case, you know, we get sued, but I, I'm not, I can't treat their child, right? I mean, I don't, I don't know their children. I don't know their cases, so I can't give advice. Um, so we bring in experts who can help with that. And we have a very active Facebook group and they chime in and give, share their stories. And that's why it's private um, because it's incredibly confidential uh, to be in But it's just so freeing to be able to say, my son did this and my daughter's doing this. And what do you think about that? Just to share with other people who are going through the same. Because if you, you know, you have a child in psychosis, I, I mean, it's, it's so shocking when things come out of their mouth. Um, Johnny used to say the mob was after him and uh, that the, the FBI knew about him. He, he would say his phone was bugged and his, his dorm room was listening to him and the, and that we were in on it just, and, and it, you just hear them so delusional, just saying these things that are completely untrue. And you just can't even believe that it's happening um, to your child. And they become, Johnny was vulgar and he would swear at me and he was the sweetest, most loving young man. Um, and so when this is happening to your child, there's just, there's nowhere to go. There's nobody to talk to. I mean, I didn't have a Johnny's ambassadors, you know, I didn't even know what was happening. I didn't even know about dabbing until a year before he died. You know, it's just such, um, it's such a, an overwhelming amount of information when a parent is dealing with this, we are, we're just really happy to be able to provide some resources and referrals and uh, some just education that they can go and learn about all of this. So it's been um, an amazing journey yeah. for me. It's very healing, you know, just to, to feel like I can help you know, someone else, you know. As a physician, I got involved in the opioid crisis years ago before the CDC ever announced anything. And, and the people who got me involved are parent victims like you, uh -huh. but for opioids. So hearing yes. you talk and what you're talking about and how this is a surprise it takes me back just, you know, really a few years ago when parents were like, I didn't know they were taking Percocets and saying they have a toothache for Percocets. I had no idea that that they got addicted to that and 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 angry at the medical community for overprescribing opioids. Yes. And and now I see the same exact history with another group of parents and and with with cannabis and it'll be a lot harder to track and, and get control of than it was for opioids. We no longer have an opioid prescription anymore. We, we, we're finished with that. Medical community has stepped up and fixed that, that issue. We, yes. ha we, had the we had the data. We had the data that we were following. Exactly. We don't have it for marijuana. They're hiding. Well, food. we, in 1317, regulating marijuana concentrates in Colorado, when that bill passed, we did institute a real-time tracking system, which nobody else has, you know, that is one way we are attempting to control how much was being purchased because before, you know, there were limits mm -hmm. on how much you could buy, but they weren't enforced. So a teen could go from dispensary to dispensary to dispensary and buy their daily limit at each dispensary, which used to be 40 grams uh, per day for an 18 year old. Now it's two. And it's tracked real time. So if they go to another dispensary and they try to buy it, they say, I'm sorry, 
you've purchased your limit today. So just this month, we have seen an 11% decline in marijuana sales. So I do think by tracking it, and I hope other states will take heed and follow, very similar to how we had to you know, track opioids and now it's not a problem, but I think sales would go way down if we did track it. Right, I like that idea. Um, you learned a lot in, in, in this journey. Um, uh, medical effects, uh, all sorts of harms. You said like you didn't even know what a dab was. Anything else that surprised you medically in or, or adverse reactions that in your in this journey? Well, when you know we don't have in our family any mental illness, so I was more like, how is this happening? Like, where is this coming from? And is you know, do we have genes like psychosis genes? Because we don't have didn't have any psychosis, and we even had him take the genomine to see if he had the COMT or the ATK of fifty one or whatever that gene is. All those genes came back, you know, nothing. Um, so my big problem was how did marijuana make him so delusional? And there seems to be that real common pattern of paranoia. Um, people are watching me. People are listening to me. Uh, you know, Johnny would think that if someone famous sent a Snapchat to two million people that they were talking about him and they didn't even know who he was. So there was this like, everyone knows me. I'm actually very famous. So there's this very specific set of behaviors that we see in the marijuana that's not like regular or genetic schizophrenia. And what, so that was a big interest of mine. And I reached out to Sir Robin Murray, uh, you know, from London, one of the foremost cannabis researchers when Johnny died and his wife, Marta DeForti, and they took a liking to me. And they're now on our scientific advisory board. Uh, and they were so kind to share all of their research and how they believe. And, and Sir Robin Murray came out in January specifically to say that he believes marijuana causes a schizophrenia like psychosis. And he believes that they would have 30% fewer patients in London right now, if cannabis wasn't there. Um, so he is a hundred percent sure. He said in his quote that it causes psychosis, even without the genetic factors. Now, if you do have genetics for mental illness, you're at even a higher risk. Right. But I think there's this sense that Oh, you know, that's, that's, it's association, it's correlation, it's not causation. And so there have been several, you know, doctors with Isaac, for example, who have applied the Bradford Hill criteria to psychosis and marijuana and believe that we are at the place where we can say marijuana can cause psychosis or a psychotic episode or a schizophrenia-like uh, symptom in people, especially young adults. And, and so it's that vulnerability of the mind that's still forming. That is really the big culprit, right? How old were you, the age of onset that you started using? And we know if you use before you're, you know, if you're in that 14 to 18 year old, that is a real danger zone, right? I mean, huge 
changes are happening in your brain then, but even all the way into your twenties and young men, some are even saying age 30 now, you know, that the brain is still organizing itself. And when you put THC in there, I was really amazed uh, at the, the changes structurally, uh, right. Behaviorally, just the thinning in the prefrontal cortex, just all of the physiological changes of the brain. So that has been uh, the most stunning, I think, for me, not being a clinician, just really trying to wrap my brain around the science. And and kids really like that, I find. They don't respond well to, you know, don't do drugs. Drugs are bad. But they really like the neurology. They think mm-hmm. it's cool. They And if you take the time to tell them why marijuana is bad for their brain, they have been really receptive to that so far. Mm-hmm. That's great. And um, Sir uh, Robin Murray and Dr. Marta DeForti were on our podcast. If anybody wants to hear their episodes, they're amazing. It's it's more yes. that marijuana causes psychosis. We've known that for years. What right. we what they've proven is that with continued use, that could become that it permanent. Can it yes, could be permanent schizophrenia. And yes, and, and Johnny only had the psychosis for six, not even six months before he died. So he was never actually diagnosed with schizophrenia. It was more of a delusional thinking, schizoaffective disorder. But yes, there are sadly, I would say half of our community of parents of children in you know who use marijuana and have become psychotic don't recover. Um, yeah. And it's just, it's just heartbreaking because they, you know, they're watching and waiting. Oh, they've been free from THC for nine months now, you know, and they still don't have their child back. And, and it's heartbreaking because you just don't know which ones are going to get better and which ones are not. Um, right. And some do recover. They're never quite the same, but the parents in many senses are just grateful for improvements, you know, that they feel like they have their child still with them, even though they're not quite the same. Right. And what people who are listening may not realize a psychosis, what is that? You feel, you know, this extreme paranoia, but if that paranoia is, um, chasing you if you feel like you're being chased by the mob then you, after you then you yeah. may jump out a window or run into traffic johnny, that's what johnny did and then you're three days before he died the mob was after him and he jumped off a building you know so we'll never know i mean we there's no way of knowing what they were thinking because they're having these acute psychotic episodes and if you're having a command voice telling you the mob mm-hmm. is after you and jump off well Right. You try to see it from their perspective, and that might seem entirely logical at the time. And the medical examiner is just going to say, you know, accident or suicide. suicide. They're not going to fall from a height. Yeah. Right. They're not going to say the demons made you jump out the window. Right. And um, they don't know because they don't know. But I see that in the emergency department. I treat people with acute psychosis, and we have to some, you know, sedate them. And so they don't do that. It's it's very scary. Yes, they become irrational and and violent. Johnny would trash his bedroom and, you know, we we put locks on our bedroom doors just because he was so volatile and you just don't know whether someone's going to have a psychotic attack and show up in your bedroom with a knife. I mean, we were 
it was it was frightening uh, sometimes and and some parents are quite afraid of their own children because when they're using they are just completely out of their minds i mean so high from these dads i the the level of thc in their blood is just so extreme when they come in in that state i mean i i can totally see why they would need to be sedated Yeah, Yeah. there's no difference of somebody who is having acute psychotic episode from marijuana from that one who's having one from uh, schizophrenia. And if that is violent, then, yeah, I mean, in our own area, we had uh, a boy who killed his parents because of psychosis. It's so so when you're you're afraid, you have to trust your instinct, actually. Yes. so you provide a lot of support to Johnny's ambassadors and parents. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how people can can reach you? Oh, we'd love to get anyone who wants to be one of Johnny's ambassadors. We have 6,000 already on our mailing list. It's just growing by leaps and bounds. We've received some very generous donations. And so we are providing educational resources at no charge. Uh, We have an online uh, marijuana curriculum that is being used in middle schools and high schools. Usually if someone gets caught uh, with marijuana at school, they have to go through our self-paced online curriculum and it's eight modules and also being used in drug courts and in health classes. So we just built it ourselves because we couldn't find any current training for youth that has the information that we wanted to get across in terms of high potency, in terms of brain development, risk for mental illness, and sadly, and suicide. So we provide that training. We have videos. We have a webinar series. You were on our webinar series. We have 75 hours of seminars with experts and just all kinds of different educational resources to help parents uh, one sheets, talking kits, videos, toolkits. So anything that they could want to educate themselves and also just campaigns for schools and uh, coalitions, a lot of graphics, just self-contained, ready to go posters and things that they can use in prevention efforts. So that's all available free to download at johnnysambassadors.org. So that's that's our main focus is to use donations to provide educational materials. And then I speak also, I go to schools uh, and speak and do do webinars, but a lot of community events, a lot of talking with parents. Um, and we have 51 trainers now, Johnny's Ambassadors uh, trainers all over the US who are teachers, prevention experts, coalitions uh, working. They use our materials and uh, go out and teach it because I, there's just only one of me. So we need, we need a lot of ambassadors. If anybody's good in front of an audience, uh, reach out to me. We'd love to get them out with some content. That's great. I, I want to pick your brain on something completely different just because this is such an opportunity. Um, you have been a productivity expert. Um, and you spent yes. many years and lots of uh, books and stuff. Can you <laughs> yes. can you give us the 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 brief uh, overview, the 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 main tips about productivity? Well, I mean, it's so different for every person. Most people they are disorganized. They lack efficiency. They spend far too much time on systems and trying to manage their email 
and follow-ups and reminders. You know, they just don't have a good processing method in place uh, so that they just can work uh, unobstructed. So I've often been teased that I can do the work of three people and it's likely true, but that's mostly because I have a great, great system that is foolproof. And then it allows you not to have to worry about things, think about things. I can take time off and uh, not worry. So I think that's why I was able to start up the nonprofit so quickly. I was able, I was able to use all of the skills and, and tools. I feel like that I was uniquely equipped, I think, to come to this nonprofit and, and get it started up in record time. We got our nonprofit certificate in six weeks, which was just unheard of right at the start of COVID. I have some people that are waiting for their certificate for nine months still. So I have no idea why we got ours so quickly, but we did. And so I just, I just am a very action oriented person. It helps me uh, with my, my healing. I feel like I want to do something, you know, I'm not the type to just sit, sit by. So I guess I was just the right person at the right time. And, and sadly with losing my son, um, it just really kind of puts a face on things, I think, mm -hmm. versus people always saying, you know, marijuana is harming my child, you know, versus me having lost mine and, and being willing to share. We have a lot of parents who I try to help, help them feel brave uh, and speak up and not be silenced. There's so much stigma around suicide and, you know, the parents are often blamed um, and, and shamed because they don't want you to talk about, you know, their medicine, uh, the industry. So I get a lot of hate mail, a lot of people trying to get me to be quiet. And of course I won't. Um, it's just going to take, it's going to take a lot of us a lot of us working together and in getting in front of this. And sadly, I hope it doesn't take another 60 years to do it. Thank you, Laura. And do you have final advice for Kathleen? Well, I think we have to educate ourselves first, you know, before you can go to your child and say, Hey, have you heard about this marijuana lately? And do you know how strong it is? And have you heard of dabbing? And, you know, I don't know what it's like to be a teen, today. So I think as parents, uh, it's incumbent upon us to, to get the information ourselves and to admit to your child. I say all the time, look, I was so wrong. I, I was incredibly wrong thinking that it was just weed. I was ignorant. Here I am this, you know, I have an MBA. I'm well-educated. We're worldly. We travel all these things, all these parents and this still blindsides them. And so it's okay to tell your child, hey, this, this scares the crap out of me. I didn't know about any of this stuff. I didn't know about shatter and wax and dabs and why you shouldn't use it. So we just, we have to talk to our children really early, at like eight, nine years old. We have to be talking with them. Uh, we have to give them the tools so that when they go to a party, and someone says, here, hit this. They, they don't have the boundary setting skills. They haven't been taught what to say. They're not prepared. Uh, and, and they really don't have that self-confidence and that self-efficacy to say no. Um, Johnny didn't. 
he didn't turn it down and and I didn't teach him that. And that is, you know, I wish that I would have. And now I can give other parents some of these tools and strategies so that they can connect, hopefully proactively. You know, we want to get the kids before they're addicted. We don't we don't want to get them in treatment. How do you and, treat and how intervention? Do you, how do you teach kids to say, no, there's such a peer pressure, have a drink or have a cigarette, have have a, a dab? What well, you you practice in advance. Mm-hmm. You have to already know what you're going to say so that when someone says this, you can say, no, nah, man, you know, my parents drug test me like have throw your parents under the bus. They don't care. But you have to talk about it in advance. You know, nah, you know, it's not for me. Uh, messes with my performance in sports. No, thanks. You know, I'm driving. Nah, don't want to mess with my brain. But they're they're not prepared. They haven't talked about it. They don't know what to say. They haven't role modeled it. They haven't acted it out. So you have to state your boundaries. You have to suggest something else. And then you have to be prepared to stand your ground and, and be like, you know, if you don't, if you don't stop pressure me, I'm out of here, you know, let's go do something else that let's do this instead. So a lot of the parents, you know, I tell when I do a school and then a parent event, I tell them to come up with a code word, whatever it is like baseball. And if your teen texts you the code word, that means there is marijuana here at the party and I need you to come get me. And then I tell the parents, no questions asked, right? This is not the time to lecture. I will pick you up anywhere, anytime if you text me the code word. And it just it helps them keep in touch and in communication. And this is not the time to be demanding who had the weed and getting them in trouble and lecturing them, right? They're calling you so that they can be safe and and to get out of a situation. And so sometimes you have to teach these kind of communication skills. And um, I think it's, I think it's really helping. We, we believe we're reaching the ones that, that we're getting to. That's great advice. I want to say thank you to Kathleen Shetfield for your important question and critical work in prevention. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. Every dollar spent on prevention saves $18 down the lines, never mind all the lives that are being saved. And thank you, Laura Stack of Johnny Ambassadors for using your amazing talents of speaking and organizing to giving back and making our communities and families safer. You're helping victims of cannabis, uh, parents, youth. You're brave in fighting uh, lies uh, about high-potency THC. And Laura, may you... Um, And I know you're making Johnny's memory a blessing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it, Ronnie. Thanks for having us. And look us up, johnnysambassadors.org. Thank you for listening to High Truths on Drugs and Addiction, where national experts bring you facts and answer your questions. This week's episode would not be possible without the generous support from our sponsors. A sincere and warm thank you to NMI, the National Marijuana Initiative, striving to dispel misconceptions about marijuana so citizens and policymakers can make well-informed choices. Our producer is Dave Rivas from Davy Boy Productions. I am your host, Dr. Ronit Lev. We hope we brought your day a little bit more high truths. Thank you.